0: Matthew 15, I'm going to pray and then we're going to look at this part of God's Word together. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you do speak to us, uh, that you have not remained silent, but you speak to us through your son Jesus uh, and the Bible, which is all about him. And so now, Lord, we pray that as we read your Word, we might hear your voice, that we might not just look at words on a page, but that we might hear you speak. And we pray that your Spirit will work with your Word and transform our lives, Lord, we pray that you'll uh, help us to put away any distractions um, of other things we might be worried about or um, if we're feeling tired or anxious about uni or work. uh, Lord, please set those things aside and help us to focus on what you have to say to us tonight. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this week I was reading a story story about a lady called Joanne who lived in the UK. Uh, Joanne, she was in the prime of her life. She was 39. Yeah, some of you get that. (laughs) But sadly for Joanne, she was suffering some pretty bad headaches and she was kind of feeling, had these episodes of feeling really spaced out. And so her doctor uh, helpfully sent her to the hospital to get an MRI. So she went and got the MRI at the hospital and the doctor who saw her after the MRI, uh, he looked at her results and then he said to Joanne, you've just got some uh, mild inflammation of the brain. Here's a prescription. Go get it filled out. Um, and make an appointment in a couple of months to see a neurosurgeon. But don't worry, it's nothing urgent. As she walked out of the hospital with her parents, because she was quite worried, she took her parents with her to the hospital, uh, her mum said to her, don't worry, love, it could have been worse, he could have told you you had a brain tumour. Now, it took a couple of weeks for them to find a neurosurgeon that they could uh, catch up with, but finally they got an appointment with the neurosurgeon and they walked into the neurosurgeon's office and they sat down and the first thing the neurosurgeon did before saying hello, put her scans up on the screen and said, this white thing here, that's your brain tumour. Now, that was the first that this lady, Joanne, had heard that she had a life-threatening illness, a life-threatening diagnosis. Now, the first doctor in the hospital... Whether he was trying to be kind or whether he didn't want to be the one to break the bad news or whatever, even though he knew about her serious diagnosis, he didn't tell her the truth. He didn't tell her. Now, if you were Joanne, how would you feel? If you're in that situation, you'd want to know the truth right, even though it may be hard to accept you wouldn't be very happy about someone keeping the truth from you, maybe keeping the truth from you for a week or two so that you're you know, a bit happier for a week or two, but you really want to know what's going on, don't you? You, Joanne, you're actually in great danger and, and by not knowing the truth about your condition, you're not getting the life-saving treatment that you need. Today in Matthew chapter 5, there's two different diagnoses of the human condition. And along with those are two different solutions and it all boils down to a simple question and this is the question. Are you essentially a good person who can work things out on your own or are you essentially a flawed person who needs help from the outside? Are you a good person who can sort it out all on your own or are you a flawed person who desperately needs help from the outside? Now, in this passage, there's this conflict you would have seen, and this conflict erupts between Jesus and the Jewish leaders, and it's about this very issue. Uh, Have a look at the passage with me. Uh, uh, The the conflict begins, and it seems very apt at the moment. It's a conflict over whether people have washed their hands or not. Um, Have a look at verse 1 with me. Uh, Verse 1, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law that came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, 'Why Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Uh, Now, as we begin, uh, there's some important things to notice here. Uh, Firstly, these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, uh, it says they came from Jerusalem. They're not your local crew from the synagogue down the road. Jerusalem at this point is 150 kilometres away from where this incident is taking place. They've they've travelled four days to come and ask Jesus this question. And if you've been reading Matthew's Gospel up until this point, it's quite an ominous sign. Uh, back in Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus kind of went toe-to-toe with the Pharisees about the Sabbath, uh, and uh, that confrontation with the Pharisees kind of upped the stakes for Jesus quite considerably. In and, and chapter 12, verse 14, uh, we see that there's this kind of tipping point where it says, chapter 12, verse 14, the Pharisees went out and plotted how to kill Jesus. And so now as these Pharisees come from Jerusalem to Jesus, They're the heavies from the kind of head office. They've come and they've come with the teachers of the law and they're coming to turn the heat up on Jesus. They're coming with very sinister motives. Now, it might seem strange that they come and ask Jesus this seemingly innocuous question about hand-washing. Are the the Pharisees some sort of crack squad of hygiene cops? Um, No. They've come to Jesus to pick a fight. But why choose this issue of hand-washing? Why is this what they want to talk to Jesus about? Well, at the heart of it is the issue that we began with. These two different diagnoses of the human condition. Are we ultimately good? Are we fundamentally flawed? See, the Pharisees, they think there's not too much wrong with them. They think that what's wrong is on the outside uh, and and that, that, that the life of a righteous person is to keep the evil and the dirt and the grime outside of you because you're essentially good. And their solution to keep the grime and the dirt and the badness out was to create rules, rules that kept the problem at a distance. And so without getting kind of too bogged down in the details, these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they followed a whole bunch of extra rules and regulations and traditions. Ultimately, I think they thought they were doing the right thing. They wanted to keep the Old Testament law. They were so zealous for keeping the Old Testament law because they thought if they could keep the law, then they could keep themselves clean before God. And so what they did was they would they would see the law and then they'd put a big ring fence around the law so they didn't accidentally break the law. And so they'd come up with a rule and a tradition and they'd come up with um, another regulation that they had to keep so that they kept their distance from the law so they didn't accidentally break it. Here's an example of, of the sort of thing that they, they might have done. Um... It's not, it's, not, it's not real, but imagine it was unlawful to swim in the harbour. Uh, it's a silly rule, because why would you swim there? It's so cold anyway, but stick with me. Just—just just Imagine it was unlawful to swim in the harbour, so the Pharisees, that, what they would do is that we really don't want to break the law, so what we'll do is we'll, we'll put a boundary around the law, and we'll make another rule so that no one accidentally breaks the law. And so we'll make a rule, let's just say, you're just not allowed to go to the beach. Or you're not allowed to touch the sand or any sand anywhere just so you don't accidentally go for a swim in the harbour just to be safe and you see what they're doing they're putting a boundary or a tradition around the law to make sure that no one breaks it and that's the situation that's going on with Jesus there's no Jewish law in the Old Testament about uh, regular people needing to wash their hands a particular way to do a ceremonial washing before they ate now washing your hands before you eat is good I recommend it, we've got plenty of hand sanitizer tonight before we eat our pizza for dinner and make our Sundays for dessert and I'm sure that some of us are wishing that uh, others in our country were a little bit better at washing their hands at this point in time but there's no law in God's word about it but the Pharisees, they developed this ritual, they developed this tradition over time and they had elevated it now to the status of a law, you must wash this way before you eat. So here we have these guys coming all the way from Jerusalem, and they're saying to Jesus, "We've got this rule, we've got this tradition. Why are your disciples breaking it? Why don't they respect our rules? Don't your disciples want to stay clean before God?" But what's really going on is they have a different diagnosis of the human condition. They believe, at their core, they're essentially good, and these rules and these traditions—they are there to stop them from being corrupted on the outside. But Jesus says, I'm sorry, you've got it all wrong. And I'll prove it, he says. Have a look there in verse 3. Matthew chapter 15, verse 3. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? God said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honour their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Now, do you see what Jesus is saying there? He's saying what they actually do with their rules and their traditions is they actually destroy God's word, they destroy God's law rather than honouring it. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition, says Jesus? You nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You see, the Pharisees, they had their rules and their regulations and their extra boundaries and they held them over and above God's law. The things that were implemented to keep the bad things out, well, now they're being used to justify almost anything. They're actually being used to justify breaking God's law. And the example here that Jesus uses is that of honouring parents. It's clear in God's law that you're to honour and respect your parents. It might be news to some of you, um, but it... It's true. I, I need to tell my children this from time to time. Um, you're not to curse them or harm them. And there was a good reason for that law. See, before kind of superannuation and Kiwi KiwiSaver and before government-funded healthcare, the needs of older parents were real. And they needed their adult children uh, to provide for them. They were dependent upon them. And so children needed to honour and provide for and care for their parents. But what could happen is that if you're a Pharisee and you had your traditions and you were a bit of a rat bag and you didn't really like your mum, you could take the money that you would have used to look after mum in her old age and you could take it from her and and put it over here and say, it's devoted to God. And the Pharisees had a tradition that anything that was devoted to God, it couldn't be touched, it was a pious gift. Oh mum, you're hungry and you're cold. I, I, I would love to help you, but this big pile of money here, it's devoted to God. I couldn't possibly touch it. In some sense, it might look pious, but in reality, Jesus is saying, you're destroying the word of God. And Jesus, he sets this in the most stark of contrast, in case we're, he doesn't beat around the bush. If you just look in verse, five and, verse 4 and 5, look at the contrast he says. Verse 4 says, for God says dot, 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 and then contrast verse 5, but you say... See, the traditions that they have, they sit in direct opposition to God. By their traditions, they claim that they are keeping themselves clean before God, but in reality, they are living opposed to God. They are living hostile to God. And then, using the words of the prophet Isaiah, Jesus, he points out where these guys are really going wrong. Have a look there in verse 7 with me. Verse 7, Jesus says, You hypocrites! Isaiah the prophet was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You see, Jesus, he puts his finger right on the issue, doesn't he? He says to the Pharisees, you think you honour God with your outward actions, but in reality, your hearts are far from God. You think you're good. You think you just need to work out how to keep the bad out, how do you just need to kind of uh, trim around the edges. But in reality, deep down you are flawed on the inside, says Jesus. Your hearts are cold to God. You try and worship God with your rules and with your traditions, but in reality, it is all in vain. And it's in vain because you've got the wrong diagnosis. It's in vain because you think you're essentially good and you just need to kind of tidy up a few things around the edge. But in reality, it's something else altogether. In verses, 11, uh, verses 12 to 14, Jesus warns the crowds there with him. He warns them not to follow the teachers of the law. He warns them not to buy the lie that they can simply clean themselves up, that, 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 that by keeping some rules and some traditions that they can keep the bad out. And have a look there in verse 12. Verse 12, then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Jesus replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Jesus, he, he can't be any clearer, can he? He's saying, these guys are peddling a system that doesn't come from God. These guys are pushing an idea that if you follow it, it's going to lead you to destruction. If you follow the Pharisees, if you follow the teachers of the law, says Jesus, rather than drawing you closer to God through obedience and rules and traditions, in reality, you're going to head further away from God. And the reason is there in verse 10. Have a look at verse 10. See, verse 10 is where Jesus gives us the honest diagnosis. It's where he reveals the core of our problem. It's it's our hearts he says. We're not kind of rough diamonds just in need of a spit and a polish. We're deeply flawed because of what comes out of our hearts. Have a look there in verse 10, 11. Verse 10, Jesus called the crowds to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth is, that is what defiles them. Here Jesus, he's showing them what's wrong with the Pharisees' original question. That question of why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? Well, Jesus says, it's not what's on the outside that makes us unclean. It's actually what's on the inside that makes us unclean. It's not what goes out of your mouth. Sorry, it's not what goes into your mouth, but it's what comes out of your mouth. You see, Jesus, he's diagnosing our real problem as human beings that we're deeply flawed, that we're flawed at the heart level. And so rituals and traditions and rule-keeping, they're just panadol. They're just sticky plasters when what we need is radical heart surgery. Jesus explains this a little bit further in uh, verses uh, 17 to 20. Have a look there. Now, Jesus says to his disciples, verse 17... Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. You see here, Jesus is diagnosing the core issue Uh, To do it, he starts with a simple lesson of physiology. See, Jesus says, if you put something into your mouth, uh, it goes into your stomach, and and what it literally says there, it goes out into the toilet. That's what it says in the original language. Um, It simply passes through. It doesn't affect your standing before God. But it's the things that come out of your mouth. You see, what comes out of your mouth, it comes from your heart. Out of the mouth come our words, which come from our heart. Out of our mouth comes lies and slander and deception and greed. Jesus is saying our problem isn't the world around us, our problem is actually what is inside us. It's our hearts that defile us, our hearts prompt us to sin and they prompt us to rebel against God and harm one another. It's not what on, what's on the outside that is the problem, but it's is what is on the inside. Now I know that um, some of you have come to a, a new church for the first time and, you know, can I? Where's the uplifting, hooray, we're all amazing sermon. Like, woo, go Jesus. Um, this is hard to hear, right? This is hard to hear. But Jesus, like a good, loving doctor, he tells us the truth. He tells us the truth. Now, for some of us, we don't actually need convincing of this. Some of us, well, we, we, we know too well the blackness of our own hearts. We know, we're fully aware of the rebellion and the rage and the pride and the greed and the wickedness that lurks within. We know we need help. We know we need Jesus to save us. But for others us, others of us, whether we realise it or not, we might find ourselves on the side of the Pharisees you know, we think we're pretty good. Sure, I make a few mistakes here and there, but it's nothing a few spiritual rituals and nothing if you kind of, you know, turning up to church, nothing if you kind of good deeds can't fix. I certainly don't need that radical kind of transformation that you're talking about. But if that's you, if that's what you're thinking, then just write down a list for me. Write down the list there that's in verse 19. Write down in your a piece of paper, put in your phone, the list. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery. Sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And then at the end of the week, get that list out and see how you've gone. Check it off like a report card. I can guarantee that at least one of them you'll have failed. And the way to deal with that failure isn't by coming up with more rules, it isn't by trying harder. It isn't by any other human means because if our hearts are the problem then we, we can't fix it on our own. That's just to follow the Pharisees' way that leads to, as Jesus says, it leads to destruction. To think that you can sort it all out on your own is to be honouring honoring God with your lips but keeping your heart far from him and simply papering over the cracks, whitewashing the tomb It doesn't change the reality of who we are as flawed people. It doesn't change the reality that out of the heart comes all types of evil, says Jesus. The alternative is we can accept the diagnosis. We can accept the diagnosis and we can come to Jesus. We can come to Jesus acknowledging that we need help, that we need to be cleansed. We can come to Jesus and cry out for help. Uh, For those of us who were here last week, we saw in Matthew chapter 14 that as Peter is walking out to Jesus on the water, he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. And then next week we're going to see the Canaanite woman. She'll throw herself at the feet of Jesus and cry out, Lord, help me. In these two stories we have uh, two pictures of people who realise that no ritual, no tradition, no amount of law-keeping was going to be enough to save them, but only Jesus could. Only Jesus could save them from their flawed and defiled hearts. And so we need to accept this diagnosis and call out to Jesus, the healer, call out to him to be saved. And the absolutely best news is that that's exactly what Jesus has come to do. To come and heal those people who call on him, who those who know that they have defiled hearts. A few chapters earlier, in in chapter 9, the Pharisees, they took issue with Jesus because of who he was hanging out with. He was hanging out with all the wrong people. He was hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and notorious sinners. Dirty people. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why would Jesus spend time with these notoriously unclean people? Why would Jesus spend time with dirty people who are going to make him filthy before God? But hear how Jesus replies. Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners you see if you realise that you have a heart problem that your heart is broken and defiled that the issue with that your diagnosis is not just bad things on the outside but actually evil within the great news is that Jesus has come Jesus has come to heal and to save those who call out to him. Those who accept the diagnosis, those who accept what God's word says here and call on him, Lord, save me. One of my favourite passages in the Bible is from a book called 1 John. And it says this, and this is where I'll finish. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Come to Jesus. Call out for him to save. And he'll purify you from all unrighteousness. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, these words can be hard to hear and to accept. Uh, We want to think well of ourselves. We want to think that we've, in our pride, we've got it all together. That we don't need any help. That we can be independent, that we can go our own way. And Lord, we also want to pat ourselves on the back when we do good things, to think that we've somehow contributed, that we've uh, made you happy, that uh, we've earned brownie points with you. But Lord, your word is honest in its diagnosis, that we are people with broken hearts. And so, Lord, we call out to you, cleanse and heal and save our broken hearts. Transform them so that we might love you and love your people and love the lost around us. And Lord, we do pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.